So I want you to think for a second about something that brings you joy, uh, something that, that just brings a smile to your face. I love this, this image. We get to launch a series that is uh, happening over the next several months, and it's going to be a study through the book of Philippians. And if you're familiar with that book, it is a book filled with good tidings of great joy. It is a book where uh, multiple times um, the Apostle Paul is going to say things about joy. He's going to describe joy. He's going to talk to us about what it means for us to experience and manifest joy in our lives. And I I love the, the idea that as a Christ follower, we ought to be the people in the world that that have the most joy. The reason is that we don't have to fear death but we know the one who has victory over death, right? That we recognize even in our sickness that we have a God that can heal us and his promise to us is that he will heal us in this life or the next, right? That we are people who have a hope that's not just in uh, nothing, but is a hope in, it's a living hope, recognizing a God that, the God that we worship and praise is a God who's a promise-keeping God. I love the way Charles Swindoll puts it when he talks about the joy of Christ followers. He says, joy is the flag that flies above the castle of, of our hearts announcing that the king is in residence. You understand what he's saying there? Is he's saying, we are aware of the fact that God is faithful and God is in control. And it ought to be something that shows in the way we live, the way we experience crisis and challenge, um, the way we um, use our words, the way we interact with other people. It ought to be something that others see in us. So when you think about church people, do you always think about people who are joyful? I think that sometimes we have to admit that sometimes Christ followers can give off the impression that's a little bit more like this guy, Eeyore, right? You guys, you guys remember Eeyore, right? Yeah, Eeyore is the guy who has always lost his tail. He's always aware of the bad weather. Um, he is always keeping tabs on how long it has been since someone has noticed that he's alive, right? That, that Eeyore is blustery and sensitive and oftentimes discouraged. I some of my favorite Eeyore quotes are um, that he's, he says all the time things like, it's only Eeyore, so it doesn't really count. The sky has finally fallen. The, um, <laughs> it, it's, all, it's finally fallen, and I always knew that it would. They made me catch that cold that I caught. And then this, this is probably him to a T. It is, I wish I could say yes, but I can't. <laughs> I think for some of us, we allow the circumstances of our life to be the thing that defines how we feel, our emotions, our experiences. And I want to contrast something for you this morning that I think is really important. Uh, we all know with COVID and the, the challenges of all of that, we are getting our, our um, temperature taken all the time, right? And, and you're having your temperature taken with a therm- thermometer uh, the thermometer reads what's going on inside of your body. It just gives an indication of what's happening inside. Uh, we also know that that's very different than the thermostat. We've got a thermostat in the corner. Some of you wish that we set the temperature higher. Some of you wish we set the temperature lower. lower. But we recognize that what a thermostat does is it allows us to adjust the, the temperature in the room. 
I want to agree with you this morning. I want us to recognize as we study the book of Philippians together that we are challenged to be people who live above our circumstances, that we are not just thermometers that read what the state is of things around us, but instead that we have the privilege of being thermostats that change the environment that's around us, that allows us to respond to the experiences of life with joy. Some of you have heard this quote from Mike Tyson. He says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Life, life hits us at times hard. And we recognize that our circumstances sometimes do not weigh up to our expectations. But I also want to remind you, as we go through this series where we laugh again, I want to put that image back up of the intro slide when it talks about unexpected joy. I want you to recognize this, this simple truth, and that is that as a, as a sermon series that we go through this, as we study the book of Philippians together, we're going to study what it means for us to be people who resonate joy. This is about resting more. It's about releasing the tension in our life. It's about us refusing to let our circumstances dominate our attitude. It's about looking at life from a perspective other than the next tragedy or clicking on in the morning what is going to be the, the thing that adjusts how we feel for the rest of the day. It's literally saying that we want to be people who live above our circumstances And I think about that statement all of the time. Someone might look at you and they might say, Sean, under your, or to you, your circumstances are difficult. Yes, you've experienced very difficult things. You have challenging things in your life. And and often we'll hear people say that they, under their circumstances, are going through so much and they don't know how to keep moving forward. And I love the simple response back to that is, what are you doing under your circumstances. You and I have the privilege, and we're going to see this through these four chapters in this very encouraging book, that you and I can be people who laugh again in our life because of the fact that we understand the role that God plays in our life. I I love in Philippians, we're going to see this statement of joy. It's going to come out at least 16 times in the text that The Apostle Paul is going to talk about joy. Uh, A few of them that stand out to me just in chapter 4. I want you to hear this. It says, rejoice in the Lord when everything goes according to the way you want it to. Right? That's what the text says. No. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. He says, I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What I want you to notice as we look at these verses we'll study again later is that these are not circumstantial. He's saying, regardless of my circumstances, I am a person who wants to live above my circumstances. I will tell you something that has increased the joy in my life that has allowed me to be um, someone who at times, uh, there are very discouraging things that happen, uh, whether they're within the church family or whether they're in our own family. Um, but one of the things that I have learned, and I've been, I want to encourage you this morning, is just don't be someone who takes yourself too seriously. 
I think one of the things that Allie and I love to do um, is to laugh at ourselves. Even this morning, I, I read in the first service, we're going through the, the passage of scripture and in my notes, I had like the title of the sermon or like a passage and I read it out loud and like 10 people pointed it out to me. They were nice, sort of, uh, when they pointed it out. But at the end of the day, I'm not like, oh my goodness, I ruined everything but instead, I just want to laugh at myself sometimes. Can we, can we agree to do that a little bit more? I love the story of the pastor who was a young pastor at a church, and he, um, he was a good preacher, and, um, and people were kind, and his church grew, and uh, kind of, to be honest, as the church grew, his head grew a little bit too, and he had one of those sweet ladies who came up to him after church, and they said, young man, you are really, you must be one of the greatest expositors of this age. And as she said it, his, just, his head filled with just great joy. And then after church, he got into the car with his wife and, um, you, know, t- you know, getting the kids all buckled up and everything, and they're, they're driving home. And he says, honey, you'll never guess what, what she said to me. Uh, she said, I must be one of the greatest expositors of this age. She said, okay, all right. She's, she's just shaking her head. And, and then he looks at her and he says, Honey, how, how many ex- great expositors of this age do you think there are? And she looks at him and she says, one less than you think that there is. <laughs> I, love that, I love that statement. Um, I, I, I think for some of us, we live in a tension of circumstance that says to us, I need to either be in control or I need to have things go the way that I want them to. And when we look at these verses, The Apostle Paul is saying something that's really important. He's saying, always, in whatever situation, I am a person who has figured out how to find joy. And I think that for each one of us, as we study these verses together, I hope that you're able to laugh with me. I hope you're able to recognize in a serious world with its brokenness and its challenges that that the Lord has blessed us with the ability still to find great joy in the midst of our circumstances. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to see this book that has been described by, um, by Jameson as um, the, one of the most heartfelt expressions of love as it recorded in the New Testament. That It is one of the most consistently positive and personal of all of the Apostle Paul's letters that he wrote. And here we get to see these words, and it just starts in such a powerful way. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with all of the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in it in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of, uh, at the day of Christ Jesus. Joy is a reoccurring theme through this book. It is encouraging. And today I'm going to share with you three reoccurring themes that we're going to see as we study this particular um, four chapters of the book of Philippians. The first is joy is about our perspective. 
The second point that we'll talk about today is joy is contagious. I, I believe that so much that joy is something that can rub off on one another. And then finally, joy is absolutely positively not about our circumstances. As we study this book, one of the things that allows us to deeply appreciate it, it is, it is not that the Apostle Paul is in a easy situation when he penned these words. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Unexpected Joy. And the reason why this is unexpected is that in the moments that he penned these words written to the church in Philippi, he was writing in a time period where he himself was under house arrest. And in under house arrest, um, we believe probably in Rome, that as a person who was under house arrest, first of all, he was on the bench. It felt like here he is, a man who God had called to be a part of advancing the gospel around the world. He was an incredible missionary church planter that literally he cannot leave his home. And so there's a recognition of something that would have been probably discouraging or disappointing in his circumstances. I think it's also appropriate to point out that the Apostle Paul, and he'll say this later in this book, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know if he's going to follow the model of Christ and see his life sacrificed because of the fact that he's a Christ follower. He doesn't know if he's going to have to make the ultimate sacrifice. So as he sits and pens these words, one of the things that's happening is that he is himself in the valley of the shadow of death. He's probably in his 60s. He's probably standing back and, and without a question in my mind, he's experiencing things around him that ought to or for some would lead them to great discouragement. But instead, he finds himself articulating these amazing words, these unexpected words of good tidings and great joy. And the reason why is that he was not tied to his circumstances. His joy was ultimately going to be in the Lord. I think that it's essential for us to understand this when we studied this passage, even like we'd studied the book of Job, many of us several years ago, that, that it's one of those that it is not because of circumstances that he finds his joy, but it's because of the fact that he was a person who had perspective. This is the first point this morning. Joy is and always will be about perspective, about our perspective of the circumstances that we're going through. I want you to notice that Paul saw himself, and this word is very important, as a servant leader. In, in the first section of description, it says this. It says this in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, or of Christ Jesus, and then he's writing to all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with all of the overseers and deacons. So this description, I want us to, to do, we're going to do this through the series. We're going to study each, each um, verse line by line, and we'll pull out some things that are helpful. I want you to notice that when Paul, and he describes himself in Timothy, uh, he describes them with this interesting word. The word servants is actually literally the word that we get bond servants from. And, and, and there's a recognition that he is not the boss that ultimately he is not in control, that he is serving the one who gets to make the final decisions. My girls work in fast food, two of them, and they're all the time talking about their boss. 
And often when they talk about their boss, it's actually quite positive because they recognize that they play a role in a larger system that allows them to keep things moving forward and help somebody to make money and how all of that works. So, so there's a recognition that they are not in control. They're not the manager or the owner, but they fit into the thing that's happening. I think for each one of us, when we understand that God's called us to be servant leaders, that the expectation isn't that it always goes our way, right? The expectation isn't that it's always according to our terms, but instead what we're saying is that we submit to the terms of the first servant leader that went before us. At the seminary that I graduated from, they have a statue there of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you think about famous statues like Michelangelo's um, David, or you think about the thinking man, you think about... Um, some of these really significant ones like Rocky, right? Uh, and uh, you, you recognize often the stance is victorious, right? But, but the statue that is on the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary that sticks with me, I actually have a mini version of this in my office. It was given as a gift to me, is this intense moment when the Lord Jesus Christ is washing the feet of Peter, and you just get this image. So, so the, the, the victorious stance of Christ is when he was in a posture of deep service and servanthood. And I think that that's the model for us that helps us to understand when Paul says that he sees himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. He's not the captain. He's not in charge. But instead, he plays a role in what God's doing to bring himself glory and honor. I think that that's a, a part of what it means for us to have perspective is to say, I am not ultimately always in control, but instead I get to serve the king. It goes on to say the kind of work that we do in verse six is a good work. I, I love as we study Philippians together, we're going to get to see these verses that we've memorized or that we often quote, and we're going to get to see them in their context. Here we see in verse six, this powerful statement. It says this, and I am sure of this. I am confident of this. I know this, that he, the God who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That this is not just a statement about progressive sanctification, that we're becoming more and more like Christ, but here he's standing back and he's saying, God started something really good in you. Uh, and Paul had the privilege of being a part of the church in Philippi when it started. And he said, that thing is gonna continue on because God is faithful and because you understand what it means to serve him. I, I have a friend who um, is such an encouragement to me, um, and he is, um, he's in jail of, often, uh, actually in prison, um, and that is because he serves in a prison. Uh, he, he's a pastor. Some of you heard Pastor Scott share his testimony here. He preached a couple months ago. And, and Scott is, is a guy who, you know, I think it's funny when we talk about his experience in prison. He's like, the food's terrible, and the, you know, it's complicated, and you go through four gates before for you. But he also talks about the things that God is doing in that prison. And as they're working to plant a church within the walls of a prison, one of the things that he shared with me, I, I hung out with him last week, and he said there's, I think it was 16 men that he had the privilege of being a part of a baptism recently within prison. And, and as he's describing this, I just want you to understand, he is in a tough environment. He's in a circumstance 
that is really complicated. He's been honest with me about the unique challenges of doing that kind of ministry, but it gets completely overcome by the joy that he sees when he gets to see God at work. And I think for some of us, when we're stuck in the mundane, we miss out on the privilege of being able to say, it's my joy to be able to serve my king. And I'll just tell you, the second point this morning is that kind of joy, it is contagious. It, it rubs off on those who are around us. You guys have noticed like a yawn, right? When somebody yawns in the room, like it's contagious, right? You guys notice this? I have no idea how that works. But, but there, there's a part of us recognizing when someone radiates with joy that we cannot help but resonate with it. We see this in the Apostle Paul. We're seeing this as he talks to the church and the people in Philippi, that there's a recognition that, that they are in agreement with the work that God is doing in and on their behalf. I want you to notice, re-looking back at verses 1 and 2, his emphasis on God's grace, his emphasis on them being saints. And, and this is because he is writing to believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is important. When I say joy is contagious, the, there's a, a collaboration that happens in ministry and a joy that comes from being able to partner together in ministry. When he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all of the saints in Christ Jesus, one of the things that we recognize, he's going to unpack this a little bit, we're at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this phrase, in Christ Jesus, theologically is, is a description of the gospel, that, that we are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ, and those of us who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ are called saints here. Some of you will remember James Vernon McGee, the old Bible preacher, uh, when he uses this phrase, I thought this was humorous. He says, the human family is divided into two groups, the saints and the ain'ts. Uh, that, that description, though, is significant for us because when Paul is writing to believers, he's saying to them, you have a unique set of things that allow you to experience great joy. One of them, he, when he says grace to you, uh, uh, that word charis is the word that we understand as grace, and it means unmerited favor, undeserved favor from God that we don't deserve what we get. Why? Because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The, the gospel is contained in this statement because we recognize that it's not because they're great people in their own strength, but instead it's because they have been clothed in the very righteousness of Christ and they experience that grace. So he, he doesn't just give a normal greeting that you would have expected in an old letter like this, but he says, grace to you. And then this phrase, peace, is so valuable to me. I think when we talk about the storms that rage around us or even the circumstances that lead us to be just thermometers in the world that we live in, just adapting to what is happening, the temperature that's around us, uh, it's so different than when we understand the peace that God can give us that allows us to overcome even the most painful of circumstances. I love that description. So we see this in the text that without grace, our efforts are frankly, useless. But with grace, when we understand it, we can experience something that can be amazing. I also love when I read this, that partnership is the source of great joy and unity for Christ followers. It's, 
It, uh, I love this statement that collaboration is how we get things done. We love to partner together in order to see what God's doing. And Paul puts it very clearly in, um, later in the text when he says, because of your partnership, in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We, um, we, we love um, the privilege of doing ministry together. That this isn't just a one-person show. It's not just an isolated event. But instead, what we get to do is to experience the joy of partnering together for the sake of what God's doing. So Paul models this with his time with Timothy. Talks about the plurality of leaders that were in the church in Philippi. And, and I, I find great encouragement when I understand that that's a part of the blessing of the body of Christ. D.A. Carson puts it this way when he says, There may be overtones of warmth and intimacy in this text. But the heart of the matter is this shared vision of what is of transcendent importance, a vision of what calls forth our commitment. That's a fancy way of saying we have a shared common goal. And when we have a shared common goal, we can experience the joy of ministry together. Um, have, you, have you guys noticed that, that it's sometimes just more fun to do uh, certain things that when, when you're just together with a group of people? I have definitely noticed. I, one of my experiences in life that I had a blast with was um, I was in an organization or like a fraternity at Cedarville, and a way that they wanted to save money was to uh, get some of the guys to go work at Kings Island. Some of you have been to Kings Island. It's a great amusement park. And um, my little brother was only 13 years old at the time. Um, but I decided to bring him with me, and um, we were going to do the jobs in the fall that nobody else wanted to do at Kings Island, so that uh, for some of our time, it involved like the broom and sweeping up the nastiness that people, and we like collected money during that time. I think we made like 47 cents. It was awesome, uh, but they also put us inside the sugar shack, and um, because I love my little brother, Josh, some of you have met him before. We have a wonderful friendship. And so in the Sugar Shack, um, while we were picking up trash, while we were working at the Burger Bistro, we ended up having the time of our lives. In fact, when I was a season pass holder for Kings Island, it wasn't nearly as fun as the time that Josh and I had together. There was no training. And so we, um, we were in charge of making ice cream cones. I can tell you, I can make a foot and a half tall, uh, you know, swirl, chocolate and vanilla swirl. It was very impressive. Those poor parents when I handed those out the window, right? Um, but Josh and I just had a blast together. And I think about ministry and I think about things like missions, trips, or even what it's like to be on a staff team in a church setting like ours. And, and I'll just tell you, I think that there's something about doing ministry together that God has designed us to get to participate in. And so when Paul says, because of your partnership, he was talking about a financial partnership with them. He was also talking about a prayer partnership and a, an intentional relationship that just allowed his ministry in his own language to resonate in such a way that it was joy-filled. So it wasn't based on circumstance. It wasn't based on it always being the easiest thing. In many cases, it would have been one of the hardest things that they could have gone through. But because of a partnership, the word koinonia, we often think of that in terms of fellowship, because of a partnership, they were able to move into what would be incredibly difficult ministry. I love that this was all founded on the, the message of the gospel. Paul said in Romans 8, 38 and 39, these words, I find this um, encouraging. He says, for I am sure 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, we will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's overflowing with a recognition of God's joy and his provision. And I, and I think that he models the third point beautifully here, and that is joy is absolutely not about our circumstances. I like the way that he says this in verses three and four. He says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. Later in chapter four, we'll see the apostle Paul talk about in every circumstance surrounding it with petitions, thanksgiving, and prayers to the Lord. And that is his recipe for being able to overcome whatever life throws it at him. He says this in verse four, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer. And then here we see this statement again with joy. I think it's important for us to remember that we as Christ followers are going to expect and recognize that we'll experience difficult circumstances. There was no promise to us as Christ followers that our life would be easy but Elizabeth Elliot, in her wisdom, put it this way, and I love this truth. She says, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. I think that's the, the, uh, the example of that thermostat versus thermometer that stands out to me. She's not saying, I need to always change my circumstances in order to experience joy. But instead, what it means for me to count it all joy is to allow Christ to, to remain and dwell within me and to be me to be his servant. You know, you and I can be people like Paul who have unexpected joy because we can live above our circumstances. I think prayer becomes a part of that. I think some of it becomes us being aware of the blessings in our life, moving beyond the temptation to be Eeyores, right? Uh, but to allow ourselves to be people who participate together in what God's doing to bring himself glory. And I think this week, as we look at the ministry fair, I want to encourage you um, to sincerely pray, Lord, what are you asking of me? What is it that you're asking of me to participate in, to contribute in, to choose to, to make a priority in my life? I think it's also appropriate as we talk about discovery and some of the opportunities next week for us to connect together that you recognize that it is a temptation for all of us to isolate and to separate from the very community that God has designed for us to thrive in. And I think it's essential for us to recognize that there's some opportunities on the horizon where it may take you risking something to step into community. It may take you sacrificing something that's valuable to you for something that is most important but I believe if we do that, if we choose to go into this with that mindset, we can experience personally the kind of joy that the Apostle Paul had in a very difficult circumstance, and we could find ourselves being over our circumstances, not under them. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the uh, just excitement uh, that flows out of the book of Philippians, that it is a book that seems to just resonate joy, even though the circumstances were very hard. And I just pray for each of us, you bless the ministry fair today, that we'd be people who consider what you have for us, what you desire of us. 
I also pray um, for those of us who are seeking more intentional community in our life, that you'd teach us what it means to enter into the kind of fellowship that you've designed us to have. Uh, We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.